We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Hamm, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. We're going live. We've got a live show happening today on this rainy Saturday afternoon. Joining us today, Fox 40, Sean Cunningham. Sean, are you surviving the drizzle? We will rebuild. Um, I don't understand why this bipolar weather keeps happening. It is May for crying out loud, so... I've got Bottle Rock at the end of the month, and typically I don't worry about whether or not it's going to be beautiful down there. And all of a sudden, I'm a little nervous, but I'm really not. Even if it's even if it's a absolute downpour, I'll be very happy. So, okay. <sighs> King's season, King's off season is here, and so are we. There it is. Uh, and of course, also joining us today, Brendan Nunes from the King's Pulse podcast. Brendan, how are you? I am doing well. I uh, was hearing thunder earlier today and just praying for Sean's mental health and then decided to, you know, just get ready for this by lighting my coconut white woods candle. Oh, good to coconut go. Coconut white woods candle. Forgot. These two in their podcast candles. It was just weird. You guys are weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which one do you have? What happened to the uh... coconut white woods? I have the warm tobacco right over here. Well, the vanilla and warm tobacco oh, calendar. One. Yeah. Clear. Okay. I need to get one of those for myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're weird. Uh, what, sorry. No, speak for yourself. God damn. <laughs> speak, for, speak for yourself as Sean is holding a candlelight visual right there in front of us. No, that's cucumber melon, baby. This is a good one. Oh, uh, that's amazing. All right. So we're doing a live show. This is uh, spectacular. Um, just so people know, you cannot enter the chat unless you are a subscriber here to the YouTube channel. It takes two seconds. So while you're sitting here wait, wondering why you can't uh, respond to us or or join the chat there on the side, 
uh, you just go down below, hit the subscribe button, and you can instantly get into the chat. Hi, Rob W. Um, he's in the chat saying hi, so I figured I'd say hi back. Uh, uh, let's see, what else do we got? Uh, make sure you jump on board with the King's Beat. Uh, go to thekingsbeat.com and become a subscriber. Jump on board with the premium subscription, and that will get you an invite to everything like the happy hour working to seal the deal on a big time guest for the next happy hour. I'm hoping we get to do a happy hour on Thursday, but um, I have got to make sure that uh, guests are available for that uh, for, for Thursday. Um, and it should be a cool one. If we can land the guest I, I'm working, there's two different guests I'm, I'm working on right now and we'll see if one of them will join us for Thursday. Um, and in order to do that, uh, to get that invite, you have to be a premium subscriber to the King's Beat. So again, go to thekingsbeat.com, uh, jump on board. Um, what's going on, gentlemen? Uh, we have reached the, the offseason, um, officially. There are no more press conferences for us to go to. There are no more, um, you know, games to cover. Sean, you're still going down to Golden State, right, and covering games down there? Yes, to Golden State. Yes, to San Francisco. Um, won't be going to LA. That's not. It's unnecessary, as I deem it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a interesting playoff series. Uh, I had in that series predicted that it would be like a Warriors in five or six. Um, but Lakers come out, take Game One, then the, the Warriors look more like themselves in the twenty-seven point victory in Game Two. So uh, LA got the uh, home court. So we'll see what happens in that series. But still good to be covering. Uh, NBA hoops and but I will say like maybe it was the press conferences and stuff like that when we were uh did our first kind of meeting after the season ends after that game seven Kings lost to the Warriors and uh that one didn't feel like offseason yet this one even though I'm still kind of covering some NBA uh basketball um this one actually feels a lot more like the offseason maybe it's because it's a Saturday I don't know but it, 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 this one truly feels like the offseason is here, and uh, yeah, it should be fun, but hopefully it doesn't get too monotonous <laughs> as the conversations yeah. go on. Brendan, how are you? Because like I know when the offseason hits, I go through a week of like decompressing, where it's almost like it's almost like a depression where I'm just like I don't have my normal routine. My routine is snapped. But uh, do you face that same thing or no? To an extent, definitely. I've uh, been busy with some sort of other things as well now that I have a little bit of time, but enjoying myself watching the other series for sure. I, I think this is some of the most I've been into non-series that I'm like specifically covering uh, just around the league. I think they've all been pretty entertaining series. And yeah, it's been an adjustment. I agree with Sean that this pod for sure feels like offseason. Oh, it feels like off season. Uh, right now we're watching, um, like I have it on in the background, the Miami Heat are absolutely destroying the New York Knicks and are going to go up two to one. Um, I watched some of the the Heat Nuggets series last night, and I was surprised that the uh, even though the Suns won, right? Uh, why did I say the Heat? No, Nuggets, Suns. Okay, there we go. Um, I was surprised that. Like the Nuggets look like a team that can win it all without any question. And they didn't play that well. They still barely lost and they gave up like a 47 point game and a 30 something point game to, uh, to, um, why am I drawing Devin Booker and, uh, and Kevin Durant? 
Yes, 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 yes. So yeah, pretty crazy. Um, just those, that series I think is going to, I don't think it's going to go long. Am I crazy and, to think that? And wasn't, wasn't Booker and Durant the only players in double figures for Phoenix? Yeah. That's pretty incredible. That reminds me of that time I asked uh, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant following um, game six when they just lost their 3-1 lead. Well, their lead to the Warriors. I think that was game. I think they had a 3-1 lead. Um, maybe it wasn't. Um, but I asked them uh, if they thought that they had forgot about their teammates. They had combined for 59 shots, three straight games. And that's when uh, Russell Westbrook like stared me down. Stared me down the whole way out of the, the press conference wearing his dare leak outfit with holes all in his shirt. And like, I'm like, what are you going to do, man? Like, seriously. And then, yeah, it's just random. I think uh, there is so much pressure put on Durant to like step in and just be a team savior and instantly make them a title contender. And at his age, and I just don't know that he can do that for, you know, 28 extra games of, of playoff action. Um, Anyway, yeah, pretty pretty cool stuff. Uh, what did you guys make? So this week we uh, we had a pot on Monday, I believe, right? Um, or was it Tuesday? Tuesday, I think. Was it after Mike Brown? No, I don't know. James has been in a in a fuzz. Look, he is all over the place. Yeah, so it is. <laughs> he really yeah. has decompressed. <laughs> I have decompressed. Yeah, so I think we did a pot on Monday night. It was Monday night, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Monday night. So, um, what were your guys' thoughts on uh, on Mike Brown's postseason press conference? I will say, I felt like after Game Seven, uh, it, it really hadn't hit him yet. For, for and what I mean by that is like he came into the post game press conference, and uh, there was probably still some. I don't know if adrenaline is the right word, but he hadn't had the chance to go back and, and look at um, look at that game and really digest it. And, you know, so often you're seeing guys take games and if it's a bad game, you, you really try to move on as quickly as possible. And um, I think what we've learned with uh, with this group and particularly a lot of teams that tend to get bounced in the playoffs is they take that pain and they take it into the offseason with them. Uh, use it as fuel, use it as whatever you want to motivation, uh, whatever you want to call it. But for Mike, I think there's a, a lot of second guessing that that has come up from game six and game six success and rolling that into game seven and uh, every game having its own storyline and DNA. And really from in, if you want to digest game seven, really from that first half to the second half. So um, while Mike Brown is very, very uh, optimistic and, and hopeful about the future, he reminds everyone that, you know, making that little step from going from good to great is very, very, very tough. And I think in doing that, he is re has really probably uh, put a lot on himself after that Game 7 loss. And he felt much more uh, somber, despite being optimistic. I think somber in the sense that the season was over and that the Game 7 ended the way that it did. But optimistic about uh, so much of the future and, and knowing that this team could and probably will look a little different uh, next season. But by and large... Uh, just a bright future for Sacramento, but he, you can tell, I think he, he's, he's wearing some of that uh, 48 hours later after, um, after that press conference initially from the game seven loss. And just to kind of build off that, I, I think another point that he reiterated a lot, then he, he said it right after the loss is just how good that moment really can be for the future of a team. 
I think to like when Denver lost in their final regular season game against Minnesota. And that was like a game of the winner makes the playoffs before the play in existed. And then the next year after not making it, they came back with a whole different focus and were totally locked in and in different circumstances, obviously. But I think that like having a heartbreak moment and getting to experience what the postseason is like, like DeMontis Sabonis is shooting specifically that Mike Brown talked about and Domas talked about as well. Like, I think that this can be so good for a team and clearly coach feels that same way. I, I kind of felt like he didn't want to like really bite into what happened in, in the final game. Like, did you guys get that? Like he really kind of stuck to his guns that, well, it worked in game six. That's why we ran the same group out for game seven. And that's why we did what we did in game seven. I thought there was a lack of adjustment that I was surprised to see in the third quarter when things spun out and they just kept giving up all those offensive rebounds. And then Steph Curry started to heat up. I felt like he stuck to the game plan, which is not something that we've seen from him all season long. He's a guy that usually like makes some pretty strong reactionary moves and says, okay, like, look, that's not working. I'm going to go to something different. And I don't think we saw that. So I was surprised we didn't see Davion. He was asked a question about why Davion didn't play hardly at all in game seven. Um, and and I get some of it. Like, again, you're getting out rebound and Davion Mitchell's one of your, your worst rebounders on your roster. Um, but that still doesn't change the fact that, you know, they didn't make an adjustment to slow down Steph Curry. They tried to stop everybody else. And if Steph beat you, he beat you. But didn't feel like that had to be the case. Like, especially with, how poorly everyone else was shooting. And so I was surprised. And then I, I kind of felt like he was, he was almost slightly defensive about like the fact that he didn't play Davion in game six or game seven, but more specifically on the fly in game seven, when things had started to like spin out of control, the, you know, late third quarter, early fourth quarter. Did you guys get that? Or am I, am I crazy? Go ahead. Brandon. I think it's just kind of adamant in like, it, it was just what worked in game six and it's the same logic. It was just not taking care of the little details. And he very strongly believes clearly, as he said that like Steph wasn't the issue in that game, you know, like 50 is an absurd number, but it's the ridiculous amount of offensive rebounds. It's missing double digit free throw attempts. And like, I don't know what adjustment is going to, I don't know that the players he had out there were, the reason for that you know at least like the combination of players the lineups i mean i think that those guys probably just needed a little bit better attention to detail when it came to rebounding and stuff so i i did sense that a bit but i think that it's justified like i, I think i understand the logic of it worked in game six we're riding with it in game seven at some point these guys got to start to box out and they have enough offensive firepower where they can get back nine points quickly you know so I get the logic, um, but did get a sense of what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it was um, defensive. Uh, I think he's kind of right there with everyone. You know, he's had a moment to Monday morning quarterback himself, and he's going to continue to do so. I think the logic was there, no, no doubt. But recognizing in the moment when it's happening and not um, – like – part of the theme of this series was no, the Kings have played some pretty tremendous defense and for a team that doesn't in the regular season showed the ability to be a good defensive team. And how much can you take from that when, uh, you know, statistically you're just not very good, but 
when you want to be, you can be. And I think that was a moment too, where it's like, you know, do you want to rebound the ball? And, and you see how they get so many offensive rebounds, uh, even small players like Steph Curry would get there. And you saw it in the series. I think it was game four, I think where uh, Gary Payton, no, maybe it was game five when Gary Payton comes off the bench and uh, the, the game that the, the, the Warriors stole in, in Sacramento and Gary Payton comes off the bench and is grabbing offensive rebounds and second chance, creating second chance opportunities. And Looney had been so good uh, throughout the entire series as well. And um, that was, to me, it was just the Warriors in game five and in that second half of game seven, where the Warriors are just at their absolute best. Um, and they still show the moments, albeit rather sporadically, but when they show it, they absolutely curb stomp you. I mean, they just really do. And to see, moments like that that's what i call those intangibles those hustle plays that the kings are still trying to figure out how those how to best execute hustle plays and and know the little nuances of the games and and man the warriors just do that part so well uh, and they continue to do so so and when you mix in a a 50 point performance the way it, it wasn't the fact that he got 50 it was how he got 50 i mean it was just incredible watching him when he got his the the 50th uh point that that damn near full court let me dribble between two guys and dribble between two guys and just lay it up on you like just incredible incredible plays where the king just so slow to react and um those are i think those are things that he's more uh concerned with as opposed to well the obvious solution is to put davion mitchell in which is something that you know i agree like i i think davion mitchell didn't play enough but uh I think in the moment of everything snowballing the way it was, the logic made sense. And it's just something that's going to haunt him for sure. Yeah. So I'll say this. I think we watched uh, Looney go out in game one against the Lakers and do the exact same thing. Like 23 offensive, I mean, 23 total rebounds. He dominated the Lakers. And I think that like, there's some like discussion here in the chat, right? Where, we're seeing some people say, like, look, the ball went right to Looney. Like, look like he had mat magnets in his hand or something. And other people were saying, oh, the Kings didn't move quick enough to the ball. I, I really like watching all of the shots that went off. Almost all of them were long rebounds. I thought Domas was battling in the post. He was trying to keep Looney off the boards, like, in tight. And so you're stopping not only, like, the rebound, but the, the putback. And, you know, his job was to push Looney as far as he could out. And then they just kept shooting threes and they kept missing threes. And the three kept flying all the way out to, you know, the 16 to 18 foot range where Looney was being pushed out to. And so I think a little bit of it was bad luck. I think a little bit was the guards and forwards didn't make adjustments and start helping Domas. Uh, but I also think that, like, they're validated by what happened in their series when you see him do it again against someone else and someone who has Anthony Davis and LeBron James and, you know, some other guys that can really hit the glass. And so I, I don't know, I like Looney is uh, he's having a special playoff because this isn't something that it's not something you can plan for. You know what I mean? Like, I think you plan to, to try to limit Looney's rebounds, especially as you got deeper and deeper in the series, but you couldn't game plan for him to get all of those offensive rebounds all the time. You could try to game plan. You could try to have other guys help out on, on the glass, but I just felt like a lot of it just felt like bad luck. Am I, am I crazy with that? Especially in game seven. I think to an extent, but 
There definitely were the long rebounds that you're talking about, and, and those got acknowledged in post game after that game seven as well. But I think just from what we heard earlier in the series, like Domas, I agree with you, is doing his job, but it's a gang rebounding thing. It takes two, maybe three guys when it comes to Looney. So while Domas is pushing him out, somebody else needs to come crashing in. I think uh, more likely than not, it was a guard forward. Um, in in most of those cases and sometimes it's hard because you want to put a body on your own guy as well and that's just what what that's what Looney's skill is he led the league in offensive rebounding you know I, I think that it definitely should not be fully pinned on Domas some of it has to do with luck but there's only so many times that you can you can say that you know and when you're putting up the numbers that Looney is it's hard to write it all off towards bad bounces yeah Sean no thoughts on it no, not really in terms of bad luck. I will say, like, um, for as great as Looney was, it was um, interesting to see him in this series with, with the Lakers and Warriors because, uh, you know, obviously the way they defend uh, Anthony Davis is so much different than what they do against Demonis Sabonis. And I wanted to ask – I asked Draymond Green that to basically illustrate a point for some of our own coverage at Fox 40. And, um, you know, like saying is the is the – strategy the same in, in defending Davis as you did with Sabonis and he's like hell no no it's way different and he's right I mean um the the some of the DHO action dribble handoff and all the stuff that they that the Kings run is is way different than anything that the Lakers do where they pack the paint and it was interesting to see them hit only I think five three-pointers the Lakers in game one and use a healthy dose of Anthony Davis and getting to the free throw line which is something that they do very 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 well and there was a big a lot of attention talked about the free throw disparity between the Lakers and the Warriors in game one, but Steve Kerr said it best. He's like, no, they get to the free throw lines. So they're in the paint all the time. We don't. And we're among the worst in the league in getting the free throw lines for a jump shooting team. You shoot a lot from the perimeter, shoot a lot of threes. You're not going to get to the free throw line a lot when that happens. And so when you're looking at what they did against even the Lakers from, for having Anthony Davis have this amazing game and then Kevon Looney comes in and, game two and he's got a little bit of an illness but is still able to go they said we should probably only play him 20 minutes at that point they already knew they were going to bring in jermichael green so they're like all right well, we're just going to start jermichael green we're going to take kevon looney out of the starting rotation which is something that they did with draymond green in the king series and they felt that that 20 minutes would be most effective coming off the bench for kevon looney and it worked um they they i mean those are the adjustments that are made it's not something you can probably do in game three because now the lakers are going to adjust for it so We'll see. I mean, that game tips off here pretty soon. So um, it'll be interesting to see how much of a role Jermichael Green will play in that game three, if at all. Uh, and if Kevon Looney is healthy enough to return to the form that they had in game one. So those are just those adjustments. And I think with with the Kings, it was a little bit of a double down because it worked. Um, but I think also that it, it's just the Warriors making their adjustments. And yeah, to your point, maybe there is luck in terms of the offensive rebounding and, and ball not going your way but you have to have people collapse. And I don't think you had enough of that. I don't think you had enough of your guard play help out Demonis Sabonis, who was, you know, really getting his ass kicked down there in the paint, trying to pull down some boards. So uh, when you have, you know, the ball leak out to Steph Curry, I mean, that's, I think there is some luck there, but I think your guards can do much better to, to, to stick with him. And I know that's a, a generational, one of the greatest players ever who really had one of those vintage performances on you and ended your season, but you got to be better. Yeah, so I think I'll point out too, like the the two guys that he sat in Game Seven and Game Six, both uh, Harrison Barnes and Davion Mitchell, 
they are two of the worst rebounders that the team has. And so to me, it made sense, especially when you look at how Harrison had rebounded throughout the series, it made sense that he got pulled and that they didn't go back to him. Uh, even when, when things started to go really South with the rebounding. So, um, it brings us to the next question, which of course we spoke to Monty McNair on Wednesday and Monty was asked by, uh, by Anthony Slater from the athletic, pretty, pretty straight up. Like, Hey, are you going to try to extend to Sabonis this summer? And it's complicated. We've talked about it on here a couple of times. I've done a little bit more research. It's still really complicated. If they were able to get Domas to sign an extension, probably won't be able to, because from everything I can tell, it's nearly impossible to give him, the, the fifth year on the extension, which is actually the sixth year. Um, so even if you gave him a bump in pay and you did like a, like a pay increase and in extension makes it hard to actually get him to, to sign that deal. Um, maybe, I mean, I'm not going to say it's totally out of possibility, but I think he's probably going to wait around and see if he can get like supermax type money the next summer. Uh, but when Anthony followed up that with his question about Harrison Barnes, Monty McNair is, is really, really good at telling you nothing. Uh, like in his press conferences, you just sit there and go, Oh yeah, this is great. Hey, I got absolutely nothing. Like you go back, you listen, you're like, okay, there's nothing that's super quotable um, outside of, you know, like the feel good of, of, you know, getting to stay in Sacramento and, and locking everything up. But, he just skated right past the Harrison Barnes question and didn't even approach it at all. So after saying, yeah, Domas is a building block and we're going to do everything we can to keep him around as long as possible. They go to Harrison Barnes. So, well, there's going to be a lot of decisions to make this summer click. He's one. Of them. Yeah. Yeah. So I really thought that it was pretty telling. So while Monty doesn't give you anything, sometimes he, he does by omission. You know, like by not saying something. And I, I kind of felt a certain way walking out of there that the Kings know that they have to make major improvements. Most of those improvements are going to have to come at the forward position because their center position, yeah, they need a backup center, but they have Domas, their backcourt. They've got four guys at a minimum that they trust. And, and it really did feel like, you know, those forwards are where you have to make some drastic changes. And whether that means, you know, Trey Lyles is back or not, we don't know, or Sasha Vizenkov comes over, we don't know, or Harrison Barnes comes back. But it kind of feels like you can't bring all three of those guys in and and pair them with Keegan Murray again, thinking that you're going to get something different because defensively, you're just not. You know, that's still no length, no, no athleticism at the forward position to go support Domas and his, you know, his need for long athletic defenders around him. Does that make sense? It sure does. Yeah. Sure does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to, to the point of, I think it, look, Monty doesn't say, like you said, he doesn't say a lot. It's easy to say you want Demonis Sabonis because Demonis Sabonis is here next year. Like regardless if he signs an extension or not, anybody else that has a question mark and it wasn't just exclusive to, to Harrison Barnes. He did it with, you know, the Trey Lyles, uh, uh, possibility as well it's it's very much if you have a if there's an, a chance that they could lose you um there's no need to come out and say uh hey you know we want this person here long term we want to build around we want this to be part of our foundation it's again Sabonis is definitely going to be here next year so whether he gets the extension or not so yeah you can gush all about him because 
they would like to keep him long term and they already know he's going to be here for next year. He's he's the the face of your franchise with De'Aaron Fox. So um with respect to Harrison Barnes, he isn't. So I don't think he's telling you without telling you, if that makes sense. I think there's a uh uh a, a world that exists that yes, Harrison Barnes could be part of the Kings and there's something that they're comfortable with. But at the same time, it's no, as you mentioned, James, it's all gung ho and trying to get better. And if you can upgrade the position, you do it. If you can't, then you bring Harrison Barnes back at a lesser salary than he's making now. You know, he's got that. What makes it also difficult too, is that 20, is it 27 and a half million dollar cap hold, right? Yes. So that's it's outlandish. That, it's crazy. And so, um, I I honestly think they've already had their mind made up about Harrison Barnes and what they're comfortable with. Certainly, twenty seven and a half million is not what they're comfortable with. So, um, yeah, and amen. I can explain that a little bit. So, so basically, the twenty seven and a half million dollars, it, it's not something that that's not a qualifying offer. So the Kings don't have to extend that to Harrison, and then he takes it. That's just it's a cap hold. It's basically every player in the league has when they go into free agency, they have a cap hold and it's usually, if I'm not mistaken, it's 150% of the previous year's salary. So he makes 18 point, whatever he, you basically do, do the math that that puts it at 27 and a half million. Um, and so they can sign, they can go into free agency and they can sign Harrison Barnes to, you know, whatever the contract is, whatever the starting salary. So if it's 13 million bucks, then all of a sudden that cap hold disappears and, and you're not dealing with that, but here's the problem. So I had this, somebody asked me on Twitter, Hey, can they re- uh, renounce the rights to Harrison Barnes and then use the MLE to sign him? And like, yes, you can do that. But the problem is, is that the, if you, if you rescind Harrison Barnes's $27 million cap hold, you say you're waiving the rights to his Larry Bird rights. Your 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 access to that, right? So now you have like I think the Kings would still only have like twenty million dollars in cap space. Here's the problem: the mid level exception is twelve million dollars. It's part of that cap space, so you can either use the twelve point two million dollar MLE and then have like eight million dollars left to go chase another player, or you can rescind the your you can basically waive your mid-level exception and have 20 million straight in cap space but then you do not get the opportunity to use the mle after you use your cap space so it's one or the other it's not both so if they were going to resign resign harrison barnes the best way to do it is just to resign him and then you would still have access to your mle because in that situation let's say you give them 14 million starting salary and then that that still leaves you another $12 million salary spot. So now you're looking at 26 million in salary, as opposed to if you, you just waive everything, you would only have 20 million. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. <laughs> kind of went cross-eyed <laughs> after a little while, but no, we're good. I think. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Brandon, you're keeping up. I think so. Yeah. I almost need to whiteboard it. Like you, you don't get like all the cap space and your, your exceptions. You, you do get, I think the biannual exception, can be signed afterwards, but the other, uh, like a mid-level exception is part of your, your 20 in cap space. So again, if you want all 20 million to go chase people say Cam Johnson and Nas Reed. So first of all, you can't get Cam Johnson and Nas Reed. 
the only way you could get that is if someone is willing to take the final two years of Rashawn Holmes money off your books. And then maybe you could be a player for those two players. Um, but you, you don't get your, your MLE and your cap space. Um, and in the meantime, you got to decide what you're going to do with Harrison Barnes, because once you waive that, then you're going to have a tough time bringing him back because that he'll have his choice of a bunch of MLEs at $12.2 million. And so that's why the Kings can pay him more than anyone else. But if you start talking about like a 13 or a $14 million salary, how much different is that for Harrison Barnes versus taking the MLE in Texas where he doesn't have to pay state tax, that type of stuff. So does that all like you guys are following or, or I'm, yes. I've lost everybody. I need a whiteboard where I can like literally like lay it all out and go Steve Kornacki on everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, what I were your thoughts off of that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Cause the whole Nas Reed, it seems like a lot of people are entertained. I've seen the name Nas Reed so much the last week. Oh, here week, goes Brendan. However much. He... I'm not going on too much of a tangent, but of course, Monty said he thinks that Domas can play both positions, the four and the five on both ends of the floor. I do not believe it. I think Domas can play it. I don't think that they want that. I think that Domas is a five and like, I just don't expect the GM to sit up there and say, yeah, if we only want him at one position, that's what it is. I think that I'm not buying the, he might play the four next year and or they have another big alongside him. And I'm curious if that's where you guys are at. I thought it was interesting that he, he started talking about a bigger player, right? Like, I think he's just talking about getting some rebounding help. And I mean, let's, let's, I, I don't know. I, I, I took that a little bit different and let's not make him like Nas Reed's not some seven footer. He's six, nine. So that, hmm. I don't think that necessarily, you know, I, I, I think they would, they just include Demonis Sabonis so much in the uh, positionless basketball especially with him being somebody who can bring the ball up court and dribble handoff and all that kind of stuff that uh, he just kind of fits nicely into, yeah, you can say a three, four. And I think part of that was showing the confidence they believe in his jumper that he'll be working on. And I don't know. I don't, I don't think that I was looking at that as saying, Hey, yeah, they're going to play another, uh, another big next to him, which is again, rewind to last summer i mean we that was things we that i had been hearing uh possibilities of hearing that trying to make the most of rashawn holmes and it just never ever ever happened um so i think they're just kicking the tires on really anything that that could open up i mean there could be trade solutions where you end up in a situation like having a, 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 a some you could have for example you could have a smaller player like draymond green okay who definitely plays center for his team and maybe he takes over the center position if he's playing alongside someone like Damana Sabonis who's even bigger than he is I don't know that I totally buy into that but um, especially with two guys who kind of have the ball in their hands a whole hell of a lot but that's that's one way I could see it and I think De'Aaron's yeah. lack of shooting really factors into this too that's a good point but it has it, I mean improved for sure yes yes yeah yeah, well, I also think that like that's why you're you hear so much about Sasha. Like, Sasha is an elite shooter at at a big man position at the four. Like, he's not he can't play the three. But for me, it's like if you come back with similar uh, like amount of shooters, you're going to be okay whether De'Aaron can shoot or not. 
Um, but to me, like, again, if he's shooting 33% or 32% from three, you're not that bad. You're not in that bad of a uh, position. Uh, Kings guru 21, it, it kind of playing plays into this, which I believe that it's Pookie, right? Um, Nate, excuse me. Uh, are we called, what are we saying? What the, this right here? Pookie? He says Rashawn Holmes is getting traded <laughs> this, uh, this summer. Well, Kings Who's guru, I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the one and only Pookie guru from, uh, Sacktown royalty frame fame. Um, anyway, uh, the reason I bring it, I bring it up into the conversation is that, uh, the, the Rashawn Holmes thing actually means a lot to this team. If there is a way that they could move on from Rashawn, like I think that they would. And you would hope that you don't have to give up someone your the 24th pick in the 2023 NBA draft to get off of that 25 million. But I think if you're the Kings, you would probably consider it. Uh, but you would also consider like your two second round picks. And well, do they have two or yeah, they have two. You would also consider multiple second round picks like past this year to get rid of that contract. And so I, I think that the Kings, uh, yeah, see, it is uh, Pookie. There we go. Um, anyway, uh, I could see the Kings trying really, really hard to shop the remaining 25 million on uh, Rashawn Holmes contract, just because it, like this is a team that's ready to win now and you can't have dead weight. And like, unfortunately I'm not calling, Rashawn Holmes dead weight as in I like I think his career is done and he can't play basketball but in Sacramento he was dead weight this year he's and like he's not an albatross contract because he's not making like 18 to 20 but he certainly is a player that isn't you know giving you value for his contract and the Kings would be much better off moving on from him I think that there will be bigger deals that you might be able to, to like include him in but I also believe that the Kings will look at their store of stockpile of second round picks and be like, okay, OKC loves to take on second round picks or, or first round picks. If uh, like future first, if you give up, if they take on enough salary, I can see the Kings moving on from salary, almost like what uh, Vlade Divac did um, years ago when he traded, what was it? Nick Stauskas, Jason Thompson, and one other, I can't remember to Washington for uh for just nothing and gave up the 2019 19 first round pick does that make sense like i could see the kings trying to get out from underneath that money pretty substantially yes yes i never expected us to be in this conversation with Rashawn holmes when he signed it obviously now it makes a lot of sense but I remember thinking at the moment that that was a decent deal and just shocked the way everything kind of ended up working out this year in Sacramento, but it makes sense. Domas is your guy at the five playing both of them together is a tough spot and he just didn't work in that backup role. So I think those seconds make sense. The dumping, I think like you mentioned, OKC, we saw him do really something similar with Al Horford when he was on Philly. And then they, I don't think he really played much there maybe played half a season and then held out the next. We've seen him do reclamation projects with, is it Kemba Walker that was there for a sec? Um, I could be having that name wrong, but we, we've seen teams that are younger that have cap space being willing to do that. And I'd imagine that Sacramento tries to. Yeah, I would even say a team like San Antonio. Like San Antonio is in a team that has like a huge stockpile. They've got some stuff from the, the DeJounte Murray trade, 
but they could use a, a veteran five to sit there and, and play out the next two years and eat some of their cap space because we always talk about like the salary cap, I think is moving up to it's either 132 or 134 this year, but there's actually a salary floor as well. And so teams have to spend a certain amount of money. And so I could see a team like that taking on some sort of asset. You would just hope that it doesn't cost you a first round pick. Like I, I think the Kings are going to shop it hard, but if it does, it does. Like if you had to give up the 24th pick in the draft to get rid of $25 million in cap space, you would probably think about it pretty hard. Like that, that would at least be something you, you would try to get around it with like two seconds or three seconds. But if you had to, I think you would have to, if it, if you had the ability to add like really good players to fill those spots, there's a big difference between having say $32 million in cap space and only having, you know, 20 that's uh, you're just in a totally different like ball game as to who you can go chase in free agency. Um, so I'm still, I'm still on that reminding, getting reminded of that Stauskas, Carl Landry, Jason, <laughs> Carl Landry. Trade. That's the third. That's and it was, third. it was Philly too. It wasn't Washington, but they also had the pick swaps. Oh, and no, it, it was, just, it, it was handlebars. Philly. It put handlebars on this team for a long time. And he did it so they could sign like Rajon Rondo and like, Oh, that's the year they Costa. signed I mean, Bellinelli and Costa. Yeah. And, yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible uh, trade. Yeah. They, they've done some, some silly moves. And like, look, I think the one good thing is I'll bring up, like, if you fast forward to De'Aaron Fox's uh, first season, 2017, the Kings went out and signed uh, Vince Carter, Zebo, and George Hill. Right? Did they? When did they sign? George Trevor? Hill was the George Hill was this. So that trade too was the most money they'd ever given a a player in a guaranteed year. Yeah, that which was wild. I mean, they gave him a, a three-year, fifty-seven million dollar contract, and yeah, man. and he was gone by the midway point of the season. Um, and then there was the other year where they they kind of like they they just started burning through money. So they gave Trevor Ariza the two-year, twenty-five million dollar deal with the second year as a player option. Uh, the the reason I bring those guys up and those trades up right now is like this doesn't feel like where the Kings are at anymore. Like, do you think that they've built up enough uh, like? goodwill and capital and in the free agent market, whether it be with uh, players or with their agents that they can actually go out and be a player in this and, and go get somebody. I don't mean a list free agent. I don't expect them to go out and get a $32 million player, but in free agency, is it possible that they could get a 15 to $20 million player? Uh, I think that remains to be seen. You did, you, you made a nice splash with Malik Monk last year. You're playing a brand of basketball that's attractive and you're mm -hmm. on the upswing. People want to play with, uh, Demonis Sabonis and you've got a Ferrari and Deer and Fox. And as I like to call it, it's equal opportunity offense in Sacramento. So, uh, that's an attractive, uh, carrot to dangle in front of somebody, especially if you have money. Uh, that being said, it's still Sacramento and, you know, you don't get to shake the residue of the better part of two decades off um, that easily. So I think as is always the case with Sacramento, your biggest moves are to be made through trade and you're hoping you can find luck in free agency, luck in the draft. You're, you're going to be competitive. I mean, I believe James, I mean, sign and trade possibilities. There's, there's, there's a lot of different things you can do. And I think trades are where this bread is buttered here for Sacramento. Uh, you can still make a splash in free agency and you will be an attractive team, but you also still have to pony up the cash for it. 
I think it's more likely trades. Uh, sign and trade with HB is something that I'm watching for, but I do think that they are much more appealing. I mean, Mike Brown talked about in in his exit interview that you know it's no secret there's places that people don't want to be around the league, and I think previously Sacramento fit under that category, and they're just not anymore, which makes a big difference. Um, this is random. I have a very big snake phobia and the Miami game Sorry, in the what? background. Huh? I have a snake phobia and the Miami game in the background just showed the craziest snake and I lost my entire train of thought. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I think that they are now. Are you okay? Appealing... I'm better. I, I got okay. it back. Um, I think that they are now in a much more appealing place for these like fringe stars like starter quality players you know i think that can look at this team see them on the up and up a good culture that is you know something that players talk about amongst themselves around the league and will be known a coach that seems to be well highly thought of around the league that you know maybe someone can look at it and be like i can be the guy that can go there get a bigger opportunity and then help propel them to that next level and get to be a part of that and so I, i do think that they have some appeal they're not a place that you know, people are only going to now unless they get absolutely cashed out. Like, I think there is some appeal when it comes to on-court just position that you'd be in and, and potential. Yeah, I mean, someone brings up, um, at, let's see, Tony uh, Danielli. Um, would would Ubre consider coming here like Monk did? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's what, what the Kings are hoping, that there's going to be a player or two out there that can, that are, rotational pieces that can fit in right away so if you do lose uh harrison barnes um then you you might have other options and even if you you chose to walk away from harrison barnes you might choose a player like Ubre who just has a different skill set like he's a good shooter not a great shooter but like a really really strong athlete and maybe an equal to or better than defender he's a longer defender than Harrison Barnes. Those are options I think that the Kings are going to look at. Um, first, they're going to go after much bigger fish. But if that's something that you think that, that you, like if you're Monty McNair, if you think that you can fit him into your system, then you probably would. I'll, I'd also point out though, that Mike Brown coached the Golden State Warriors with Kelly Oubre there. And he has a very good understanding of what Oubre's pluses and minuses are. And if I'm not mistaken, Oubre was horrible in his short stint with the Warriors and really struggled to figure things out. So maybe he's not an option. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. I don't know. And, you know, maybe a guy like Mason Plumley, who is an unrestricted free agent this summer, maybe they re they look at that again. Maybe they look at, um, well, we got Thibel, who is a restricted free agent for Portland. Uh, you got Jeremy Grant up in Portland. Um, you know, maybe you try to make a trade with a team like the Lakers to, to get them better and, um, in the short term, but go steal a guy like Jared Vanderbilt that you really liked at the trade deadline and couldn't make it happen. Um, so I think that the Kings are going to be aggressive that, but I also think that we're probably closer to Harrison Barnes's exit than we were like two weeks ago. And I'm, I'm slightly surprised by that. Uh, just the way this thing is kind of turned, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, was there anything else you guys took away from the Monty McNair conversation that really stood out? Uh, not really at all for me. I mean, it was a, a master class and not answering questions. It didn't even sound like they really wanted to identify priorities and uh, uh, which I think are pretty 
uh, I mean, there's a lot. Well, but if even, you can identify them now, why didn't you identify them in February? <laughs> well, and that, and that, <clears throat> that was kind of the question. It was like, how much does the calculus change from at the trade deadline to where you are now going into the off season? And I, I think, as you mentioned with some of those players too, like now, if you want any of those, you can just go sign them. You can just go get them. Um, whereas before you had to give up some, uh, some draft stock, which is essentially just a rental for something that you don't really factor in much for your remaining few months that you that you have. So um, now maybe your your thought process is different, and you can just go outright sign some of those players if you wanted to. Uh, that being said, it doesn't take away what the needs are for the team. Um, you know, defense, three and D, rebounding, all that kind of stuff, uh, and and overall just finding guys that are tough just toughness physicality um that'll be i think uh, i think you take all those and you maybe put some above the others but um yeah and i think it 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 changes so if you it changes if you don't keep harrison barnes then all of a sudden you have a bigger need um it changes a little bit with if you secure sasha vezhenkov and it'll become a little bit different if you don't so um you know luckily you're not I, I think it's fortunate for this team that they're not picking very high in the draft this year. Um, you know, you don't have to, you're not, you're not in, in the muck of all the worst teams in the league and you have a team that is going to pick 24th is what they have. And I have it. I know mm-hmm. they've got a possibility of two picks second round, I believe it is, but you definitely have one in the bag and we'll see kind of how that unfolds. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at that, that first round pick, Brennan, you think that's on the table for trades? For sure. Uh, I think that you definitely try to just see what you can get for it. If you can get immediate production, that's great. I also think that I could absolutely see them taking somebody with that pick. Like you can get quality players at 22. And I think there's a different pressure on you or, or lack thereof when you're later in the first round compared to picking higher in the lottery, like Sacramento's probably accustomed to. And I think that this front office has a decent eye for just finding guys that are for sure NBA players. Like they, they absolutely are making sure to pick guys that previously and obviously in a different draft position, but just have an eye for guys that can play on some level in the NBA and fit a role. And maybe they could make that work. Um, I will say I have spent long days and nights theory crafting free agents, and I have figured out two perfect ones. I Uh think. That would fit. That would fit. (laughs) Okay. So backup center, right? They can also get you some minutes alongside DeMontis Sabonis because he can shoot and space the floor. Hold on. Can we just just take a moment to see how happy Brendan is right now when he does this? You are giddy, buddy. I I want to hear this because he thinks he's found something. And the second position is a three and D wing, right? These are two undeniably needed positions, right? Budget options, hmm. free agents, Justin Holiday, oh, and Dwayne Jesus. Dedman. No, good God. God Take a lap. Get it. the God fuck out of here. What right are we Brent, just, just leave. Kindly leave. <laughs> Kindly leave. Oh, uh, we now know why he was smiling the whole time. Because <laughs> he was a, he was a messing with us. Uh, just wasted okay. our time. He did just waste our time. All right. So, hey, if you are uh, watching right now on YouTube and you're part of the live show, uh, two things. Number one, in order to comment, you have to be a subscriber to the channel. 
So subscribe to the King's Beat uh, YouTube channel here. Um, also, uh, if you don't mind, give us a thumbs up. Uh, that helps push up all of the algorithm stuff, and that would help us. Uh, and as Sean always says, don't uh, like go ahead and hit it twice. Don't hit it twice, whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know why someone is yelling all, in all caps, uh, but oh, oh, that's that's why. So now I, I get the guy in the chat. We'll just yeah, see ya. Uh, well, why? He's entitled <laughs> to his opinion. He's big. We'll just fan. we'll just launch him into space. Huh, uh, that was you blocked him. Yeah, huh. that was cold hearted uh there we go um so i kind of uh, like the name turbo duran that was that was kind of clever but there we go uh, he was just expressing an opinion yeah i shouldn't have blocked him if i feel bad maybe i'll unblock you uh post about you james well yeah okay lake show um so here's what i would say too uh like we talk about the second round picks and the late first round pick i could see a world where the kings don't use any of those at all like I think draft prep for this year for us is almost like like a an exercise in futility. Uh, I think that the Kings will look to you know of course so people understand the Kings can't trade the twenty fourth pick in the draft. They can draft a player for another team and then trade that player after the draft, but they can't trade the pick because of the Kevin Herter trade, which locks up the twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. And really the 27, they can't trade 27 at all either at this point. Um, but uh, I could see them like drafting for someone else. And the reason I bring that up is number one, Kessler Edwards is under a team option next year and he's 22 years old and it's $1.9 uh, million, which is a bargain basement deal. They have PJ Dozier under contract as well uh, for next season. They have until July 10th before they have to, either uh, guarantee part of his money or just waive him. Um, but that's good too, because now you know you have another body. You have uh, the right to both Namias Keda and Keon Ellis. And so those guys could be part of your future too. And the reason why I bring that up is this is like the back four or five guys on your rotation that we're talking about, uh, not on your rotation, of your of your roster. And so I could see a world where the Kings just dump all of these assets that they have in attempts to go out and make the team better now with more NBA ready, rotational ready players um, in this off season. And do you think I'm, I'm, I'm off base with that? John, <laughs> I'm, I don't know. There's a lot of different things. There's, there's so many options that you have. I think they're in a very peculiar or a very, uh, advantageous position if that's what i mean you have you know obviously you have the the the, the draft pick for next year kind of tied up with with what's going on with atlanta um there's there's a lot of different things you can do and i think it's so early on where you're identifying needs which is good i think the kessler edwards and pj dozier you know obviously they have those dates that you have to um satisfy i i think one will likely be i think kessler will be picked up i think the pj dozier one's a little bit different um but yeah i mean this is uh this is where it all starts and, and right now they're gonna have some some options i don't think it's an exercise in futility as you look for the draft i think packaging it certainly is a is an option but sometimes those best moves are the ones you don't make and you need to be prepared to 
pick a player at 24 that again is brendan mentioned there's some talent out there man uh i there's a lot of there's a lot of shooting in this draft which could be fun to see um and i think that uh, there's some there's some length as well which is something that's sorely needed by the kings so uh you, you have to be prepared for everything i think it's going to be an entertaining draft i think this this trade deadline kind of set the table for a busy uh a busy draft as well i think there'll be a lot of activity that's going to be made and a lot of that has to do with a lot of teams not having a lot of cap room even though that the cap is 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 increasing brendan i think that kessler is somebody that i'd imagine is around and after that like who knows i don't think that there's anybody from sort of the names that you went through that you look at and think that like, Oh, well you should for sure keep this one around or that one. Like I, I think that it could go either way for any of those guys. I'd imagine Kessler stays. I, I just think that the cost is, is low for what the potential upside could be. And that's not me saying, I think he's going to be some starter or anything next year, but I, I think he's shown an ability to be a part of an NBA rotation. And that's a pretty low price for that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely decisions to be made, and I don't think that any of them have the most like undeniable cases for have to keep them around. Hmm. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I don't want to keep everybody all day today because we're we're just getting in off season coverage. Um, were, were there any other takeaways you guys had from Monty McNair or from uh, from Mike Brown? No, not for me. Not I really, yeah. Uh, Monty made sure to give credit to the rest of his guys, so could just list some of the other ones as well that he gave a shout out to, like Paul Johnson, Paul Johnson, the Stockton Kings GM who won. Uh, what what is the title for that? Is it G League Executive of the Year? Mm-hmm. Essentially, um, yeah. Yeah, Phil Jabor, assistant GM, Wes Wilcox, obviously, and Alvin Gentry was up there as well. Uh, kind of all for their I'm very awkward they... picture. I was, su- <laughs> I was surprised I, they had the uh, trophy as quickly as they did that, that was there. That was wild, wasn't it? The trophy? It was, yeah, it's pretty pretty neat looking. I have to grab a someone is at the front door. Give me one Uh-oh. second. You guys you guys oh, carry on for two seconds. This. I'll be right yep. back. Brendan, why don't you throw some other shitty ideas out there that you're <laughs> that you you get excited about? Dwayne Dedman and oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? These don't fit. Um, it's not my fault. Is JaVale McGee a free agent or something? Is this what we're getting at here? Oh, JaVale McGee is, uh, has been liked by people before. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. Keyword before. Could... Before. Do, what do you think about the whole, <laughs> like, okay, when you had your correction of Nas Reed not being exactly like a center, a little shorter, is that in your mind? Just a little like smaller. Could play with Domas? Yeah. I think that could happen. You don't? Not really. Offensively, really? it's fine, but like, does he really give you anything on defense? I don't know. I think he adds some toughness, some rebounding, some things. I think he checks some boxes for sure. I don't think it's necessarily the most ideal fit, but, um, you know, when when people are kicking around a lot of ideas for people that can come in and plug in, plug and play next to Demonis Sabonis, I think he's a guy that, uh, like, I also don't think you have to start him, uh, but. I think certainly you could, and I think you can play majority of the game with the two of them side by side, as opposed to somebody like Draymond Green who needs the ball in their hand a lot. And I think that becomes t- instantly tougher um, to to navigate, especially when you have someone like Fox who also needs the ball in his hands. I could see that. I, I think that it you could see it working with Nasri. That's just not the 
direction I'd imagine that they'd go. I, I think that if you're going for pace and I think just more, I guess he can space the floor. Um, yeah, I don't love it, but I guess. How much okay, do you don't, think? Don't that... talk about him. He's back now. Okay. okay. Nas Reed. <laughs> I, I just think you can find a better player. I, I mean, I think the Kings are further along. Am I like, I know that might sound mean, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. I, I know a lot of people, I know someone just mentioned it there too, but uh, uh, like Brooke Lopez, even though they call him broke, uh, that's not nice. Um, but no, I don't think he's leaving Milwaukee, man. Like that's, he had a fantastic year. They he plays a very defined role for the Milwaukee Bucks and their success. So um, I don't think they're looking at moving him out of the way. That and I think, I think the Kings decided to like hit the gas in the playoffs and really push a tempo. And I just can't imagine a team with Lopez and Sabonis like trying to push the tempo. That would be tough. I don't know. Do you think there's any uh, world where Draymond's on this team next year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Really? I mean, I mean, I I don't I wouldn't bet on it, but I certainly could see it for sure. Um, you know, if this is a guy who's got it's $27 million, I think, or actually I, I got to double check, but uh, the player option, he can 4.9. You know, yeah. Oh no. You, I'm sorry. 27.5. Yeah. So, tw- so it's basically the cap hold for Gareth Harrison Barnes. Uh, you, he can, he can opt out of that. He can go get a three or four year deal, set himself up pretty nicely. Um, if, if yeah, if hmm. you want him, go get him. I, I think he will opt out. I think he's, you know, everyone's kind of led the, breadcrumbs to go to to the lakers and i think there's a lot of merit in that um i think even somebody like the heat and certainly there's other uh options out there but uh for him to be able to play the type of role he he plays and not have to be completely different uh player that that you know him to be uh i think those are some possibilities for sure where he can still be him interesting I'd, i'd say any of those teams and even if you throw the suns in there he ain't getting his $28 million. Like he'll get that over three years, but he's not getting it for one year. There's just no, no. way. I mean, those well, are teams that don't have money. Yeah. I mean, I mean, without, I mean, as presently sit, as they presently sit, I mean, there's all way kinds of ways to move rosters around and, and free up money. So. Yeah. We see that all the time. As long as Danny Ainge is still employed, uh, the Lakers <laughs> will still be able to get players. Um, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Uh, okay, so um, let's hit uh, the business of basketball. Um, is there one player that you guys think would change everything that is obtainable that would give the Kings, like if you were Monty McNair right now and there's one player you're targeting and like you're probably going to have to give up something to get it, but you're also going to give up a, like a load of draft capital or whatever. Who's the one player that you would chase really, really hard this off season, whether it's via trade or in free agency. That's such a loaded question, man. That, I, I mean, I'm not saying like, like Kevin LeBron Durant. James. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jalen Brown. <laughs> I mean, no, uh, no. I mean, you guys like guys that, that may be available that, you know, like I think a year ago we were probably like, Oh, like I would probably throw John Collins into that discussion. Not anymore. Um, but you know, is there a player out there? I know, uh, uh Jacob Walker brings up Pascal Siakam, which is Sean's guy. Um, uh, Mikhail 
is not available, guys. Um, OG is is my guy. Uh, Bam. Like, is there I, someone that you guys would I, I, like? How do you how do you how do you get Bam? Like, Miami Heat. I can't imagine them ever getting rid of him at the moment. Like, why? Well, that and I don't know how you could fit him into your salary cap. I, well, I mean, not in your salary cap, but I don't know how you could fit him into the into a lineup. He would not fit next to Demonis, in my opinion. I am all about the two Raptors guys, where Pascal Siakam, which I'd imagine is going to cost a lot more than what OG Ananobi would cost, but I, I think both of those two guys. I think OG is defense player of the year type potential and and just great versatility, blocking shots, getting steals, guarding you know, kind of two to four with some ones and fives mixed in there as well and can hit the three at a great rate. There's more off the dribble stuff that gives you thought of a potentially higher ceiling than what he's gotten to show. And Pascal Siakam's resume speaks for himself. If that three point shot is going down, which I think he's a lot better when he's doing that off the catch rather than creating for his own. And that's kind of led to some of the dip in his three point shooting numbers. I think those two guys stand out a lot to me. And then my other would be uh, Jeremy Grant who I think is a impact defender and can get you some buckets offensively hit open threes. Uh, that is going to be very dependent on what that price really is though. I'm not a fan of Grant. No. Yeah. I, I look to, like, I mean, I mean, I think he really hurt his stock by virtue of just how bad they were this year too. He wasn't yeah. great. Yeah. And I, I look at his stats and he really is inefficient. He doesn't rebound at all. Like for a guy who's six foot nine and long and you know super athletic, he averages like four rebounds a game. Um, that would be my concern. Like someone brings up Josh Hart. Josh Hart's going to be tough to. Well, he's unrestricted, but I think he wants to be there. Like talk about a guy who, if you really like looked at Kings, quote unquote, needs a small forward that you know maybe an undersized small forward, but a guy who can play small forward who averages a ton of rebounds. That would be intriguing. Um, hmm, interesting. Thomas Bryant. But I, like, I don't hate having Thomas Bryant on the Sacramento Kings. I think he could play alongside Demonis for, for a little bit. Um, Sean, did I'll you have anyone one. else? <clears throat> yeah, I got, I got one, but I think Julius Randall and Demonis Sabonis would be neat together. Ew. I know y'all don't like it, but I think it'd be Ew. fun. Uh, Kyle Kuzma. Well, we talked about yeah. that last time. It's been a lot of Kyle Kuzma discussion. I would take Dorian Finney-Smith over Kyle Kuzma. I'll I'll be the one to ask. Um, Dylan Brooks, probably not. I but, agree. But I think I I I don't think his uh, the downside of Dylan Brooks is as bad as it's being played out. I think he's a hell of a player, um, and I think he can fit a, a necessary role. But I also feel Memphis needed a scapegoat, and they got one. And I don't think he was going to be back anyway. Like, let's pretend he didn't have all the attitude stuff that he that he's shown and some of the stuff that his team really embraced throughout the year. Um, I I I just don't feel like he was going to be he wasn't going to be back anyway. They've got some decisions to make. Um, they weren't going to pay him a boatload of money, and like. I, I, I think he'll be just fine. I don't think he's going to be playing overseas or anything like that. I don't think he's, you know, is <laughs> this lost cause that can't play in the NBA. Uh, I think he's a hell of a defender, shows some toughness, and uh, does a lot of nice things. But I just don't see it in the Kings uniform. Yeah, he's 
you know, like, I think he probably will hit a pretty strong reset button on who it, he is. Uh, you know, the guy's only 27. Um, and boy, like, I forgot he's Canadian. But it, like all of this is uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic for the Canadian guys. Um, but I, I think that my problems with him are always it's not even the personality stuff, because I think the Kings have a locker room strong enough to with, withstand one guy and keep one guy in line. And I actually like I think Dylan Brooks is part of the reason why their culture has been so strong the last couple of years leading into this year where, you know, they were they're a team that like never gives up. They're a team that has, you have to play all 48 minutes against They're a team that doesn't mind like popping you, uh, you know, they're physical, all that stuff. Well, we can't like, like sort of just take all of the good that Dylan Brooks did as part of that and, and throw it out the window. And I also don't think he's done anything crazy and stupid. Like as the dude in their backcourt has, you know, he's not that I've seen waving a gun around and uh, in a, strip club or or like pulling a gun out on a 17 year old or any of that stuff so like i I think that he is like sean said a scapegoat for all that's gone wrong there when they clearly have a a problem with their best player they have a major major problem with their best player and they have a really big problem with the fact that like their their stud big man like his knee doesn't seem to be getting any better and that their super athletic four blue as Achilles, like that team has a bunch of issues to deal with. Um, so I don't, maybe I, I could be convinced that Dylan Brooks wouldn't be horrible. I just don't love him as like an inefficient player. And if anything, the Kings were very efficient on the offensive end. They have a bunch of efficient players and he's just not that he's a low shooting percentage guy. He takes really, really bad shots and like, I want all the bad shots to re- be reserved for Malik Monk and, uh, and De'Aaron Fox. Like those dudes can take bad shots. No one else can. And if you had a guy like Dylan Brooks, all of a sudden you got another guy who takes bad shots. Am I crazy? So you're out, you're out on Metu is what you're saying? Or? Oh, I don't think Chemezi Metu will be back at all. Like I don't just, and yes, Metu does take bad shots. Like I, I but like, I don't think that there's any way that, Shimezi Metsu's back in a Sacramento Kings uh, uniform next year. Sean, no, yes, you have no. no I mean, I, I wouldn't. No, I, 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 yeah, I don't. I wouldn't bet on it. Um, I wouldn't yeah. bet on him being back. But uh, certainly, you start piecing the roster back together and you know have familiarity. It's possible. Um, but yeah, I probably wouldn't bet on it. See, there's a name that just came up. What if Cat became available? Absolutely, fuck no. Wouldn't touch him. Not, not at all. Not at all. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 I knew that was coming, and I will agree <laughs> with Sean 100. Nope. 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 Not I gonna happen. Agree. Uh, yeah, like not at all. Not at all. Um. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, do you guys have any questions out there? Do we have to like hit questions really quick before we get out of here? Um, too expensive for cat. Uh, let's see. What would OG? What would an OG trade look like? Um, Three we, first round picks minimum. Okay, but we're talking about a guy who has one year left at like eighteen point six million with a uh, player option. I think for nineteen point six next year. Yeah. 
So you still think he cost he costs three? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Probably. One of those unless, being... you, unless you have like a I mean, if you can get a piece that they really, really want, I just don't see I don't see Toronto outside of a few players wanting much. I think they're yeah. gonna go full rebuild eventually. Well, you it depends so? what your matching salary is. Like, are you signing trading HB? Does HB want us that? Does Toronto want that? Or are you talking about like Rashawn Holmes? And then how does that change the assets you have to include? Why does Toronto want Rashawn Holmes? Well, they wanted they him before, and they I'm don't. with you. Why would they want him? But like, if you're talking about a team that might be willing to, I mean, you're going to have to take on some salary if you're Toronto. Yeah, it's have to not about salary. wanting homes. It's wanting all the draft picks. Right, but I'm saying, is, yeah, if you're getting three picks, sure. Like if right. you're getting, but if you're not getting your draft capital, like that's not that's not what entices a team to. Right. Oh, I got Rashawn Holmes. I got that money right, right now. Okay, and so and in this situation, this is where I can tell you that if you are the Kings and you have this opportunity to get him, you can actually. This might be the one situation where you. Uh, you remove the you waive the rights to um, both your MLE and uh, Harrison Barnes, and you just get yourself basically like twenty million dollars in raw cap space to absorb OG Ananobi's contract in its entirety. So you could actually, in that situation, take him on without giving someone back. I think more likely it would be a situation where the Kings gave up a couple of seconds for someone to take Rashawn Holmes. It would be a three-team trade where you tried to fulfill the contracts that you needed to get OG to the Kings. Um, that's still my guy. That that would be the guy that I think would be a ground-changing, like, I think it would it would make you a contender, at least close to it. Um, Mikkel Bridges, I, I think uh, Jim uh, Garfinkel, you bring up Mikkel Bridges, there were reports that when the Brooklyn Nets acquired him, uh, that an, I think a West Western Conference team offered four first-round picks for Mikael Bridges, and the Nets turned that down. And then he went to the Nets and was even better than they thought he would be. So I don't think that you're going to be able to to pry him out. I think the Nets are going to build build around Mikael Bridges. Um, and like to put that in perspective. Didn't they get three first round picks from the Suns in the Durant deal? And Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder. They turned around and traded Jay Crowder for four second round picks. So basically they got like three firsts. Maybe it was four. Uh, and they got three of uh, four seconds. And they had the potential to go and trade Mikel Bridges for another four firsts. So basically for Durant, you could have got eight first round picks, seven or eight first round picks and another four second round picks. That's and Cam Johnson. Cam hmm. Johnson is another guy we, we haven't discussed, but I don't know. Um, Ryan Kramer asked, do you think Grant could go from four to seven or eight rebounds per game under Brown's tutelage? No. Old dog. I mean, dude's 29. If he hasn't been a good rebounder for this many years in his career, I don't <laughs> think he'll be a good, like you can't, teach an old dog new tricks i also don't see what a head coach has to do with totally has to do with rebounding for an individual i agree especially when you're on a team with demonis Sabonis, who is the league leader in rebounding yeah and it should also be noted that the kings were like number five in defensive rebounds in the league all season long like these things that happened in the playoffs with 
Looney. They happen a couple of times during the regular season, but like three times. Like the Knicks did it. They had the Steven Adams game. There might have been one other game where they got killed on the offensive glass. It was more of like a, an anomaly. It was and more of like something that was happening. Those are the but, best offensive rebounding teams or players in the league. Like Steven yeah. Adams, the Knicks, Looney. Hmm. Um, I, I want to... What about this? No. Mm. Stop it. Oh, God. Somebody's going to, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, somebody's going to, and I mean, you're... I, think he's done it. I don't think he's done in Charlotte, do you? Talking about Miles Bridges for the audio side. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Audio side, Miles Bridges. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not touching Miles Bridges at all because if, you know, again, the Kings are some are a franchise that, like, they try to act as if they are above reproach when it comes to this stuff. And that, like, the the backlash from that would be incredible. I mean, I think you would lose fans. And I mean, maybe you feel like you can withstand that if he makes you a, a title contender, but I don't know. That's pretty bad. Um, what does it do take for Keegan Murray to be part of trades? Is there a world? Wait, sure. say that again. What does it take for Keegan to be a part of trades? It'd be a, it'd be a big, a big fish. It'd be like a, Jalen Brown type of thing, uh, one of those type of players. Siakam yeah, I get possibly. I also get the feeling that the Kings aren't going to do it. Like I, they they have too much faith in who Keegan is, and they they believe he's going to be like really, really, really incredible. And that's why even uh, that's like like nobody's of... untouchable. I just don't want people to think that like no one's yeah. untouchable. Like there the, yeah. there's 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 certainly pathways to get anybody off this team. Um, and a lot changes from one year to the next. So, yeah, no, that's true. Um, uh, Charles Piero in in the chat. Uh, I think Lyles should get signed fast enough to remove his hold. Uh, that's actually the reverse of what you do with with Lyles. Lyles has a three point six million dollar cap hold, which is nothing by NBA standards. Chances are Lyles is going to get more than three point six million. So you have a conversation, but with Lyles and and you guys come to a secretive agreement on how much he's going to make. Then you go out and you sign all your other players, and then you come back to Lyles and you sign him after you've signed everyone else because that cap hold is so small that it's not really going to matter as far as like whether you can acquire someone or not. So if you're going to bring back Trey Lyles, probably going to be like my guess would be like at the most like a three-year 18. Maybe I'm off base there. Uh, maybe a, a three or five, uh, 15. Um, I don't think you're, you're paying, like, I don't know that anyone is paying Trey Lyles a tremendous amount of money, but I still think he would be a really good player to bring back if you're the Kings, especially if you're not sure if you're going to be, be able to bring Sasha Vizankov over. Um, so yeah, the Lyles thing is, is a little different. Uh, Nick Claxton. Yeah. Nick Claxton would be great, but I don't think you can get Nick Claxton out of, Brooklyn. Maybe you can. Tony, Tony in the chat is very hyped up for Dayron Sharp. And I never thought I'd see someone be excited for Dayron Sharp. Gotta be like a UNC fan. I think that's the right school. Really? That's his yeah. first mistake. Oh, I'm I'm way behind on on all of this. Um on the chat. Okay. Uh do we have any final thoughts? I think I think we're good for today. Do you have any final thoughts? Let's start with Brendan. 
Um, I'm saying Denver and Boston in the finals. It's probably the most common prediction at this point, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb saying that, but Denver's balling, and I'm starting to think that I've been – I also think Phoenix isn't performing quite the way that I expected. Aiton's been pretty underwhelming, and obviously CP going down has an impact with that, but I'm thinking that you know, maybe I was overlooking Denver. There's a damn good reason they were the one seed all year long, and the reason overlooking them is because they always – end up falling apart in some sort of way or get exposed defensively. I feel like in the playoffs, but they feel put together on that end and Boston was able to retake home court. And I think they got a easy road to the finals after this round. So just putting hmm. in my prediction, Denver, Boston. All right. Uh, my final thought would be, I need Brendan to uh, deliver on one of these homework assignments because uh, some of the things he tells us he's doing is very troubling, very what? troubling with the free time. What am Coming I doing up with, with my Justin free time? Holiday and Dwayne Deadman? Oh, I, yeah, I literally, goes, yeah, yeah. How dare you? You're right, that took me forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually, I like, uh, I like your prediction, but I also, Brennan, I think Philly's not out of it yet, and so I, no, I think it's, not. it's a possibility that we have a, a Philly Denver clash in the finals. Best thing know. about that series uh, with with Denver with with Boston and uh, and Philly is is you've got two road teams that have won in three games, so hmm. very very fun to to watch that to watch that series. Yeah, and, and getting his MVP that was yesterday awesome, was man. awesome. Yeah. Also, I want Arthur and 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 Deuce to be those for those who don't know. Arthur is the is Joel Embiid's son, and Deuce is Jason Tatum's son. And I want them to become the best of friends. Like I feel like they should have their own reality show when they're older. Like oh, just all of it. Those guys are those guys are great. Okay. Uh, Steve Brown in the chat says Brendan needs to watch uh, Snakes on a Plane. Stop it. No, no, he doesn't. Even me as a huge Samuel Jackson fan, and I actually do find that movie rather entertaining at moments. But no, that movie's trash. What's the most yeah. uh, iconic line from that movie? You know that you know the uh, the MF and snakes on this I, MF and plane. I don't. Can you uh, help me out? <laughs> I just did. I just did. I've already that said was... the F word too much today, so it's pretty basic. Work on that. Um, someone said for me to do my homework uh, and take a deep dive into finding out what's the word on Sasha. Hang on, I'm going back up. Uh, not we... on the king side, but Sasha's side. Um, yeah. You know, like guys, go go get your Vezhenkov jerseys. Yeah, that that's that's the belief. Okay, so yeah. Oh, can... Sean said it here. Yeah, that's the I mean, belief. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the that's the belief. So I, you put it somewhere that you thought it was ninety percent. Yeah, that hasn't really yeah. changed since months ago. So uh, that's that's the that's the belief that he will be in a king's uniform. So. And, and our guy, uh, Josh, who, um, Joshua, who comes on here, uh, who's at the happy hours, who lives in the Czech Republic, he's actually gone around and, and watched, uh, Sasha play a couple of times cause he's in Europe and it's not that expensive to fly to neighboring countries to go catch him play. And he's, he's been sending me some, uh, some scouting reports on Sasha. Nothing that I, I like like pretty similar to my vibes on him, you know, like he's going to be a solid offensive player is he's got like a lightning quick uh, release on a three point shot. He's a great shooter. 
um, you know, good on inline drives, a decent rebounder, but no one, nothing spectacular as a rebounder at the NBA level. Um, like some interesting stuff, you know, to a total four, not a three and not a five. Uh, but all of these things are, are kind of interesting and he'll keep tracking them. Uh, but Sasha's just been like going around, picking up MVP trophies everywhere. He's been playing extremely well in Europe. And um, a pretty entertaining playoff series, by the way, if, if you've kept up with it, it's uh, yeah. they had a game winner. I mean, it was some fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, Almer Zukic says he's Joe Ingles. Um, that's an interesting comparison. I don't know that he's the passer, the playmaker that Joe Ingles is. Um, I think he's not as good a version of Bojan Bogdanovic. That's what I've seen. Um, and I don't know, like Bielitsa comparison is interesting too, but uh, Bielitsa is actually a really, really good uh, passer. So I expect him over as well. Uh, I haven't, like I've checked in with some people over in Greece uh, over the last couple of months, but not recently about where he's doing? at Christos Saltos is is doing really well uh but I have I have some other people over there that <laughs> I've checked in with I'm, I'm messing oh no I, I love uh, I love reaching out and talking to Christos I one of these days I'm gonna fly out to Greece and go hang out with Christos what? he's he's the guy that on the zoom calls last uh so people who don't know who we're talking about Christos was on all the zoom calls uh during the pandemic He's a reporter from Greece that would stay up all night. And he's the one that goes, hello, coach. Uh, you're like, Chris, this is I hope you're doing well. And then he would ask uh, a two-part question. Most of the two-part questions had nothing to do with each other, but still and also, like, and also, yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely spectacular dude. And I have talked to him a bunch about Sasha and about what he's hearing over there and what we're hearing over here. But there's also other people that I, that I talked to in the European world. Uh, so yeah, um, definitely, uh, I, I think he'll be here and then the Kings have to figure out how they fit the other pieces around him, which means is Trey Lyles back? Is he not, uh, is Harrison Barnes back? Is he not, you got to find a way to add that athleticism and length, uh, the shot blocking, the defensive line of players, because, uh, Sasha is not that guy. So yes, I would go to Greece. Um, you really do have disposable income, don't you? Oh, wow. Look, <laughs> your boats. Take take one of your boats and go to Greece. That'd be amazing. I can't take a boat all the way to Greece, Sean. <laughs> oh. That would take me like six Long months, time. especially on a pontoon boat, man. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like. I think Charles Primo. I think there is room for uh, Trey and there's room for Sasha. But like, I would tell you that neither one of those guys can play the small forward position and at all. Uh, they, they both are more fours and, you know, I think Trey can play the five. So cool. All right. Uh, that's a wrap. Uh, did I have final thought? Yeah. My final thoughts for like, they're muddied. They're somewhere in the middle there. Uh, Sean, hopefully you stay dry because it's raining like crazy. It, it absolutely pissed rain here a minute ago while we were, uh, uh doing this and, now it's time to go out and about. So let's do it. Uh oh, Sean's going oh, yeah. out and about. I think, I think the worst is past us. So there's there's margaritas to drink on this off day. So we're mm. gonna go do it. I may have lived up the uh, Cinco de Mayo pretty heavily yesterday. So that that happens. Uh, Brennan, are you gonna go hang out with Sean? Well, if he invites me. 
I'm, I'm inviting you. you for... <laughs> I've invited you. Yeah. No. Oh, that's funny. All right. All right. Uh, cool. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat podcast. Uh, make sure to give us a thumbs up if you haven't already. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, jump on board with the King's Beat. Go to thekingsbeat.com. Uh, become a premium subscriber to get invited to all things like the happy hours and to get all of our writing stuff as well. Um, I've taken a few days off just because it's decompression season, um, but I'll be back writing for tomorrow and then a bunch this coming week. Uh, and then we will be back uh, next week uh, with a show or two um, as we start building up towards the draft and free agency. The draft is just around the corner. The like the lottery isn't the lottery coming up like any day. Uh, although the Kings aren't in the lottery. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us here on this adventure. So for Fox 40, Sean Cunningham and Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast. I am James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. See you very soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.